0: Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, September 7th, 2017. Uh, football season has begun. Duke is 1-0. Basketball season is just around the corner and the ACC released all the team's schedules today. So we're going to dive into that and a couple other topics today. Um, but before we get going, uh, I just want to introduce... The crew here, just as usual. I'm Sam Klein. I am your host, coming from Denver, Colorado. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, I'm
1: very excited to be doing this. Um, we got a basketball schedule. I'm, we have a basketball schedule. That is like one of the, it's one of the best days of the year. Yeah, Not as good right as when we play corner, games, yeah. but but close to as good as when we play games because we get to think about the games. Yay!
0: And uh, and in his his. His body is in Washington D.C., but his mind is in Detroit, and I imagine that he is sad that Justin Verlander is no longer a Detroit Tiger. Donald Wine, how you doing, buddy?
2: Uh, well, I was doing really fine until you mentioned that. I, I was trying to hope that you didn't bring that up. But uh, did you
0: did, did you want to like say a word or two for for your boy? I mean, I love Justin Verlander. Yeah, so. he's
2: still my dude. Uh, Justin Verlander is always gonna be my dude. He's one of my favorite. Detroit athletes of all time uh and honestly I'm I'm now pulling for the Astros to win it all because uh that is my dude and he deserves a ring but I was going to mention that you know there's a few days that you look forward to Christmas uh the start of the NCAA tournament and the release of the ACC uh hoop schedule so today is one of those great days ladies and gentlemen
0: well let's not uh Let's not wait any longer then. Let's dive hey, into hey, the hang, basketball hang on a, schedule. Hang on a second. What?
1: Wait, wait, wait. What? We, we're talking about things Donald's upset about, and we didn't talk about the incredibly pathetic performance of Team USA in in World Cup qualifying just last I week. I didn't want to I
0: didn't want to bring go. it up like, all that, that was like weeks ago. <laughs> I didn't like, want to go too deep on him.
2: That was weeks ago, man. Like yeah. well, That was, was last week. week. It was last week, Donald. It
0: was
1: bad. It was really bad. Look here, Donald. Like I
2: was trying to start off on a positive note, and you guys are just taking (laughs) this all the way down to the bottom.
0: You have too much. You have too much sports uh, emotion in your life, and that's
2: why I was going to start with some happy thoughts. Hoop schedule.
0: Let's go. So let's. (laughs) Great. Good. Thank you. Let's go to the hoop schedule. So the ACC um, put out the basketball schedule today. Duke has had their non-conference schedule out. For a few weeks, and we talked about that briefly, and how generally underwhelming it was, especially the home schedule. Um, but the ACC schedule is out. We knew the opponents before. Now we know where all the games are. So I'll start uh, with jason. give me give me a couple thoughts on the basketball schedule and and take it kind of wherever you want because I think there's there's a few interesting things going on. so why don't why don't you just just give us your your thoughts on the ACC basketball schedule specifically? Uh, For Duke.
1: Well, so if we're talking about the ACC schedule, I'll tell you the first thing that jumped out at me and and you're going to find this sort of funny. Um, We played B.C. B.C. is the first game of our ACC schedule. And I went, God, it feels like we always play B.C. early in the schedule, um, early in the ACC schedule. So this year, they're the first ACC team we play and we play them on December 9th. It has been a long time since we played an ACC game that early in the schedule. I know the ACC sort of had to adjust some things this year, and and as a result, teams are playing games earlier than they used to. It used to be that Duke wouldn't play their first ACC game until you know December 30th. I think was like the earliest in the past ten years or so. But we've got BC on December 9th. But I looked the past four years. BC has been our first ACC conference game. Um, and it was only in last year, in 2016-17, where they were the third game. But they were our first game in 14-15. They were our first game in 15-16. And they're our first game this year. And, of course, the nice thing about that is um, you're going to start off with a win because BC has been terrible lately. I mean, BC hasn't been relevant in the conference in quite some time. So, uh, so I, you know, I think it's kind of nice. Duke gets to start off with a with a pretty easy game. The other thing that I noticed about the schedule is it's, this is to me about as favorable a schedule, as good a schedule as you can imagine for for the Duke Blue Devils, for a Duke team. Um, there are there are probably five teams, there are five teams that everyone says are really good in the ACC this year. Five teams that are, most people say are in the top 15 teams in the country. Um, and that's Duke, UNC, Louisville, Miami, and Notre Dame. Those, those are the five cream of the crop in the ACC. Um, we only play. Of course, we play UNC twice, so we play them home and home. That's a given. We don't play any of the other three in a home and home. None of them. The one, and we play Miami on the road. We play Louisville at home and Notre Dame at home. So, of the really tough teams, that's as that's as good as it gets. And, and arguably, Miami is the worst of those five. We get UNC at home. We get Louisville at home. We get. Notre Miami on the road. Um, by the way, there's no other ACC team that's going to be in the preseason top 25 in all likelihood. I mean, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Virginia are going to be good. Clemson and Georgia Tech be okay. That's sort of the top half of the conference. But the good teams, we just don't play them uh, very much, and we don't play them on the road again, other than Miami. Um, in fact, I-, I would say the the only the only teams that are, are going to be in the top half of the conference, likely to be in the top half of the conference, that we're going to play on the road are miami unc and i guess you know maybe or virginia tech virginia tech's the other one but that's a really good schedule and i I don't want to be predicting records or anything like that yet but if we don't go 13 or three or or better against this schedule i mean i i just don't there's no way we lose more than three games against this schedule I, i mean i guess Sure, there could be some crazy injury, something could happen that just, we just cannot foresee happening. That could be just insane. I mean, this Duke team is not very deep, but just on paper. Uh, so Duke's gonna be favored probably in every single ACC game they play. Maybe we won't be favored at UNC, maybe. But we are probably gonna be favored in every single ACC game we play. And I, I, I can't find, no way I can find more than maybe, th- maybe three losses. Um, and, and by the way, if you look at the other top teams in the conference, uh, UNC has has a much tougher schedule um, than us. They, they play Notre Dame twice. They play Louisville on the road. Louisville um, has both Miami and Notre Dame on the road, as, as well as playing Duke on the road. I mean, the other top teams in the conference, uh, they have it tougher than Duke. They, there's, there's no excuse. There's no reason. Duke, Duke should be an overwhelming, once we see these schedules, now that we've seen these schedules, Duke should be an overwhelming pick to win the ACC this year. Donald, what you got? Did I get everything?
2: Uh, you got a lot of it. I, I I echo your sentiment. When I looked at the schedule, I I was definitely looking at a, a lot of things. And and one of the things I saw was that it is a pretty favorable schedule. There's not a lot of uh you know we I look at a lot of things. First, I look at when the games are played. We have a lot of games on Saturdays. We have eleven of them on Saturdays. So, you no, know, our guys are going to be used to playing on the weekend. We have a lot of breaks um that are you know three, four, or five days, which is good. Uh, there's not a lot of backbacks, uh, and there's not a lot of Saturday, Monday double headers. You know, we, we talk about uh, when the biggies kind of reincarnated uh, we took their Saturday, Monday kind of slots and it used to be where we would have a lot of those, especially double headers on the road, Saturday, Monday, on the road, the three Saturday, Monday, double headers we have, uh, we have the first game at home. And one of those uh, double dips is both games at home. So I think that's pretty good. Uh, well, but I'll,
1: I'll so really quick we have a saturday monday with wake forest at home and then at miami right. um, and and i sort of th- you know that at miami game um is arguably you know one of our two or three toughest games all year in all likelihood and to have it as a saturday monday turnaround um is tough i'd I'd much rather the monday was at home as opposed to and that, to and that the monday
2: road. game that monday you're, you're describing is that monday is mlk day so it's not like i even equate that you know as a holiday it's still a weekend game feel and in, in that sort of aspect it's not you know we used to have those games where we'd be like at uva at notre dame or at unc at clemson or something like that we don't have a lot of those games where we have to go on the road both times and we don't have it where we start on the road we start all these all three of these doubleheaders at home which i think bodes well for us and i think like you said that one game against at miami Um is probably the toughest you know turnaround on our schedule. I think the toughest like probably stretch we'll have is when we go you know Notre Dame and then at St. John's and at UNC and now I know and then at Georgia Tech. I know St. John's is not expected to be very good this year, but they normally play us pretty tough in the Garden, Uh, and that's that one you know I don't want to call the trap game with us. That one game that we always you know used to have uh, in the middle of the schedule that non-conference game. Uh, on the road, and in, 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 we'll be in New York for that. So I think that's kind of our like, – you know, if you're looking at that, like last year we played like five ranked teams in a row uh, at the end of January, beginning of February. So I think this is a much more favorable schedule. Um, the one thing uh, – the two other things that I'll note, and I'll pass it along to Sam. First, you know, I always look at who we play uh, twice before we play – we even play UNC once. And this year we actually play two teams. We play Pitt twice, and we play Wake Forest twice. Uh, and I think that being at Pitt is also one of those games that we've, you know, usually not played very well uh, in Pittsburgh. We've won some of those games, but I think they play us pretty tough there. So I think to get that game and to get oh, the four games out of the way, Pitt I think it's very killer.
1: Pitt is terrible. They're going to be just horrible this year.
2: That's fine. But I'm not talking about record. I'm not talking about how terrible they're going to be we all know that when they play us, that it's not going to be a terrible team that shows up. One of these games is going to be a team that's going to give us their best shot, whether, how, however weak it may be. Uh, And usually that's pit. And and I think getting that out of the way is a good thing. Um, The last thing I'll note is, you know, we normally have this break uh, for uh, finals in December, where we have like one game in in the span of about 13 days, but from December 6th to January 6th, we're only playing four games. Uh, and we basically have a game, then a 10-day break, a game, then a 10-day break, a game, and then like a six-day break. Uh, so I think that is going to be a stretch where our team is going to be able to gel a little bit more. We may get some rest. Um, some of these players that, uh, you know, may not be in the rotation early, maybe they have the opportunity in practice to earn some more playing time. Uh, and I think that's going to be, a t- you know, a test. When we go to BC, I know they're bad, but that's going to be the first test. Well, I'm sorry, we also have uh, Florida State. Um, uh, right at the beginning right uh, I guess right before the new year that's going to be a good test for our team to, to be like how do we respond from such a long layoff will we be rusty obviously we will be but that's going to be a game where we're going to have to stay focused and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this team gels in the month of December
0: well, Sam, and, I'll pick the and, end. and in that month um, I, I looked at that stretch I bounded it a little differently mm-hmm. um, we play Indiana on the 29th of February, or of uh, November, rather, and then we play Florida State on December 30th, and in between then, um, we have four games not against Power 5 schools. It's South Dakota, St. Francis, Boston College, and Evansville. So, hmm. like, you know, the, like th- th- there's a lot of time off there for the, <laughs> for the, for the squad to kind of get Wait, healthy. Did-
1: Did you just say that Boston College is not a Power Five school? Because I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but that's awesome. (laughs) I
0: was was hoping, I was hoping that, I was hoping that neither of you would say anything, and that (laughs) someone would mention it in the thread, and then I I agree with you, (laughs) and then I could just be Mr. Dry Humor. Um, So, uh, so yeah, but that's that. I had you guys, I think, pointed out a lot of the really interesting stuff. There was one thing that I noted. and, and I think I also saw it on Twitter, but I, I'm pretty sure I would have seen this anyway. Um, the two UNC games. So Donald likes to talk about the, the sort of back-to-back situations, the, the one-day-off games. Um, and I, I always look at the, at the rest situation. I think that um, I agree with Donald that, the, that all those setups this year, I think there are three of them, and none of them are terrible. Like you said, there's none where we're away and then come home um and i think looking at the game times at least as far as we know now there's no like saturday night monday night um it's all saturday afternoons the syracuse game at the end of the season is uh is still tbd but you know probably going to be in that 2 or 4 o'clock window um so we get uh we get those home games they're in the afternoons and then and then we fly and have all day Sunday and all day Monday. Um, so there's, there's no, like, really horrible um, back-to-back situations. But the, the most interesting rest item is um, prior to the two UNC games. So the first UNC game is Thursday, February 8. Um, the last game before that is, is the Saturday prior, so February third at St. John's uh, in the Garden, which is a, is a travel date but is pretty friendly for Duke so um and then we get 4 days off before UNC um sometimes it's like a it can be like a monday thursday it could be a sunday wednesday this one's a, a nice long layoff and then a, a another long layoff uh, before the last game of the season um home against north carolina on saturday march 3rd the last game before that one is monday february 26th at virginia tech so another kind of short trip um and then they have a lot of time to rest up before unc games i didn't get to I didn't look up um, UNC's rest situation before that, but I like that Duke has all that time off because winning those games, you know, it, it means a lot. I think in in the context of the national picture, because uh, obviously UNC is always good and Duke is always good, and it's it's a it's probably the best barometer we get. But also, just for rivalry purposes, we like beating them. So uh, and also after
2: after the first UNC game that we're at Chapel Hill, we have. It's a Thursday game, and then the next game is not until Sunday. Uh, yeah. I know in previous years that the league has liked to give it us uh, – give both teams a a Saturday game, and I think that is good to give that extra day off after that yeah. emotional high uh, of a game Definitely. Uh, to kind of calm down and kind of get back focused for the rest of the uh, ACC and, season.
0: And like I said, I don't know if that's intentional by the league, but I'm certainly happy about it, and I imagine the coaches are too because even if – no one wants to admit it within the program um that unc those unc games are are emotional and they're it's a big thing on campus and et cetera. Et cetera. so as much time as they can have around it i think is good because the players can sort of adjust themselves to it
1: um by, is there anything the way, else that,
0: anybody oh yeah, yeah go that, ahead jason
1: so, so the third unc game that you're talking about that's at at duke um you'll notice that the, the scheduled start time for that is eight fifteen p.m my bet is that espn has already decided that that is going to be their you know sort of their their big national game of the night. They'll do they'll do college game day from yeah. Durham that day. Um, oh, yeah. I've looked at the schedule. There's no there's no other there are really no other games that would make sense for college game day. Um, uh, you know for for you know to to put Duke at the at the center of uh, the college basketball universe. Um, there on is a, on
2: one. one that's listed. Out, well, first of all, I think the UNC game. The one that's always the last game of the year, whether it's at, in Durham or in Chapel Hill, is usually when they put it uh, college game day. They usually – they don't put it on the first game that's in the middle of the week. They do it for that last game. But they right. have well, Especially dual- because the, the one
1: in the middle of the week, they have to share with the ACC network. So, like, Correct. like if you're in an ACC market, you, you, would, you can't watch it on ESPN. Correct.
2: Uh, well, yeah, you. I guess you can now. They they had some quirky things. And actually, that's
1: right. They changed it. Yeah. They changed
2: yeah. it. But one game that is on the schedule is listed at 2 p.m. or 8 p.m. is the game on Saturday, January 6th at NC State, which leads me to believe that they may flex that to 8 p.m. if for some reason they want to do college game day at NC State. I don't think they will, yeah, but it looks I, I, like I they have it getting, on that schedule. I doubt uh, we're getting just in case. Game, um, yeah. it in Raleigh.
0: Yeah. It would surprise me. I think it also – um, in
2: Saturday, I'm sorry. The Saturday game against uh, Syracuse is also a TBD. Um, again, that also, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, no way. I don't anticipate them, but they obviously are, are are accommodating for that just in case. I'm also not sure that
0: game day starts that early in in That's January because they're still doing because yeah. they're still doing football at that point.
1: I was just going to say, true. I think yeah, January 6th yeah, right. still you're you're still in the bowl season at that point because the bowls now extend until mid March or something like that.
2: Yeah. Right. So what they'll probably do is flex it based on what bowl game may happen to be on that day because it's not going to be um, it's not going to be a major bowl on that day. It's going to be you know the the Mobile Bowl or something like that.
0: Well, but they yeah. might not even be doing game day because I think they might just be focusing. They might just focus on that. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I imagine the championship is right after that.
1: Yeah, so so guys, the the other thing I wanted to mention, um, we we focused almost exclusively here on the ACC schedule, and I know we talked a little bit about the non-conference schedule in the past, but you know, just seeing it in the context of the full schedule, um, couple things that that jumped out at me just very very quickly, uh, don't sleep on the the Furman game, and you're going to laugh at me for that, but last year uh, this is on Monday, November twentieth, um, last year Furman was number one hundred and six in the ken pomeroy rankings which isn't terrible i mean there are plenty of acc teams that were lower than that um and Furman returns a lot of their roster and they're actually they're projected to win their conference this year um uh you know espn joe lunardi puts together his absurdly early bracketology about one of the only things it's useful for is to look at and say hey who do they think is going to win these tiny conferences Furman's projected to win their conference. South Dakota, by the way, is also projected to win their conference. We play them in December. But but that Furman game um, really may surprise some people a little bit. I, I I won't be shocked if that game's a little bit closer than, than folks might expect. I want to go back to the AC Big Ten. I'll say it. Why the hell are we playing Indiana? Indiana's terrible. They're not going to even be in the top half of the Big Ten. There's a golden opportunity here. I don't know why we're not playing Northwestern. How awesome would it be for us to play Northwestern? Northwestern's picked like second or third in the Big Ten this year. They'd be really good. I'm, I'm so upset that, that they're giving us Indiana. I know it's in Bloomington, and uh, you know, I'll probably eat my words, and Indiana will, will rise up and really give us a tough, a tough game. But I, I bet that game's a stinker. Indiana's just not very good this year.
2: Anyway, that's what I got on the non-conference. Yeah, I assume we're not playing Northwestern because uh, Chris Collins is there.
0: But yeah, that's, that's what we should play them. How much fun the, would that be?
1: Come on. Well, I don't think well, I agree with you.
0: Northwestern I because I don't I think, think Northwestern has a has a profile for it. Um, that true. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, so but let, let's uh, let's move on. I think we've we've hammered the schedule. We're excited about it. Next thing, I think this one's a slightly quicker topic, but. Still exciting, Uh, Duke got its second commitment from the high school class of 2018 last week in Cameron Reddish. He's the number four overall recruit, according to 247 Sports. Um, So Duke now has a small forward to pair next to Trey Jones, who's the point guard coming in. Um, Jason, I know that you have watched some of Cameron Reddish's highlights or seen some games. Um, Why don't you tell us about this dynamic small forward?
1: Yeah, uh, this is a this is a wonderful recruit and uh Duke has been to say that Duke has been on a recruiting role lately is sort of uh, you know is almost a joke. Um they're uh, to to go in in the span of a month we got Trey Jones, we got Marvin Bagley and we got Cam Reddish. Um and, and by the way, Marvin Bagley and Cam Reddish are both going to go they're both going to be top five picks in the NBA draft when when they come out. Uh, I mean, these are really really special players. Um, a lot of people have begun to compare Cameron Reddish to um, Brandon Ingram because he, uh, like Ingram, he's very skilled but very long. We're talking about a guy who's six seven with a seven one wingspan. This is one of these guys where, you know, he can tie his shoes while he's still standing straight up, um, and. Uh, and Reddish does a great job of using that length, using that wingspan to to get off his shot. He's he's just absolutely lethal um, uh, in the mid-range game. He he's probably more um, he's probably stronger, a little bit stronger than Brandon Ingram. Maybe qu- not quite as athletic, uh, but incredibly skilled, really supremely skilled. Has a really nice shot all the way out to to three-point range. If um, uh, if you guard him with someone who is his size he's so skilled he'll go around them if you guard him with someone smaller he's so big and so long he'll take them in the post and and post them up um he he uses his wingspan he uses his length pretty nicely on defense he's just someone who's very very skilled and i I brought up the brandon ingram comparison but there are a lot of people who have more of a longer term outlook longer term view who are talking about maybe grant hill um Now, I don't think Cam Reddish is as good as Grant Hill. He doesn't he's not quite as strong as Grant Hill was um, even coming out of high school. But but I mean, even to to even be beginning to use comparisons like Grant Hill and Brandon Ingram, you can tell that Cam Reddish is, uh, you know, it's a really special player. And and his first name is his. Go ahead. Do you mean
0: do you mean that Cam? you're putting a lot of expectations on Cam Reddish's hair? (laughs) <laughs> All right, you, you were about to about make his hair. Any comments about his about the stadium that he's going to be playing.
1: Yes, at. I don't know about his hair, but his name—his name is Cameron. How could a guy named Cameron not come to Duke? Well, he did come to Duke. And the one other significant thing about this recruitment and this kid coming in—and by the way, he, um, uh, he, like I said, six-seven, seven-one wingspan, so he can be a stretch four if you want because he's got the length to play the four. But in high school and on all-star games and in AAU games and the such. This kid plays a lot of point guard. He can literally play any one of the first four positions on the floor. You wouldn't put him at center. He's not strong enough. He's not big enough for center. But he can play the one, two, three, or four. I know Duke doesn't have positions, but this is a guy who can play. If we had positions, he could play any one of those positions. But I was going to say the other thing about him that's significant is uh, John Calipari at Kentucky wanted Cam Reddish. Like probably, I think he wanted Cam Reddish more than any other player in this class. Maybe there, there may be one or two other guys that he wants a little tiny bit more. But he and he really went hard after Cameron Reddish. Um, uh, Calipari coached the under seventeen or under eight. I guess it's the under eighteen, under nineteen. Under 19 one of those teens. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> he coached the under nineteen team that Cameron Reddish was on this summer, and um, and many people assumed the uh, the the Team USA team. Many people assumed that Calipari was with the players on that team, that he would have a leg up in recruiting them. And there were many really, really top, top end, high profile recruits on that team. Cameron Reddish probably was the highest profile one of them. And um, uh, Calipari still did not get this kid. Duke got him. And I I, I don't know that there's anyone right now who looks at the world of recruiting. Uh, for, For a while, you said Kentucky ruled recruiting. And then you said, well, Duke has pulled even with them. Uh, at this point, I think there's little question that Duke has pulled ahead of Kentucky. Duke is the elite, the premier, the number one recruiting school out there. If you are a stud, crazy good player and you want to go and you want to be one and done, Kentucky isn't the destination anymore. The destination is now Duke, and, and that's a big deal. Um, and Cam Reddish is proof of that. And I can't wait to get this kid on campus. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah,
2: I, um, you know, I was got to talk about John Calipari and his uh, recruitment of him. And and I think that recruitment has been going on for years. I mean, he's been trying to get him on uh, when he was doing stuff with the under, you know, under 19, I believe he was doing under 15, under 17 uh, teams as well. And he's been trying to get this kid uh, to Kentucky all the way back then. Uh, But I think the one thing that was kind of funny is you were mentioning that some people were basically thinking that he was going to go to Kentucky or that it was uh, that he was uh, not a sure thing, but pretty much expected to go there. Uh, I I watched his recruiting video. The uh, I'm sorry, his commitment video. Um, and when yeah. he starts off with "I'm going to be wearing blue and white next year," I'm sure a lot of Kentucky fans started celebrating until the very very end when he un- unzips his jacket and it's a Duke shirt he's wearing, uh, which I thought was really funny um, because when I you know knew knowing that circumstances when he starts off with "I'm I'm going to be wearing blue and white next year." I was like, this man is about to troll so many fans uh, and probably everybody in Kentucky hates him. And you know what? That's okay because he's a Duke player now. Um, I I think the one thing that I I will mention that you uh, that you hadn't um, I when I was watching his game, especially I watched a lot of his. They had a lot of practice videos from the under 19 team that you mentioned. um, And he he really has a lot of athleticism. And his athleticism is very versatile. I don't know you know, when you're throwing around, you know, names like Grant Hill, uh, Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram is the closest thing that I would describe him to. But I don't think he's that type of player. He's a similar player. Uh, but his athleticism is just really interesting to watch because because of it, he can finish in a lot of different ways. It also allows him to be uh, very aggressive um, in transition, both on offense and defense. And that's where he you know gets a lot of his points and, and really is able to or able, able to find uh people on the on the wings to to finish. So I think that is a very interesting dynamic um that I'm, you know, really excited to watch next year. So other than what you just said that that's what I'll add uh, about Cam Reddish. but a great great player, a smooth player and I think, you know, once again, we are we are running things when it comes to recruiting and I love it.
1: No, but by the way, one last thing on Cameron Reddish, and I, I should have said this earlier. There is one knock on him. There's a reason this kid isn't the number one player in the class, um, uh, and and it's because of his motor. Um, uh, people, uh, you, you talk about how smooth he is, and and you're 100% right about that, Donald. There are some recruiting experts out there, some folks who make the rankings who who look at how smooth Cameron Reddish is, and they and they sort of they think he's not trying really hard, that he's not working really hard, and and he he does have a little bit of a tendency in some games to sort of disappear for a while. And you're like, wait a second, you know, there's a top five kid on the floor and he hasn't really done anything for a couple minutes. Um, The knock on Cameron Reddish is his motor and his drive. Uh, But there are a lot of people who've said, and a lot of people who've written um, he went to Duke specifically because coach K is known perhaps coach K's best quality is his ability to motivate his ability to get guys to play hard all the time. Um, uh, you know at duke there there is no coasting that goes on, and a lot of people think that Cameron Reddish picked Duke because he wanted a coach that would force him to always be working and would make his motor better um if this kid with his skills and his um his size and and length, if you also give him a strong motor there 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 is no ceiling i mean he he can be one of the best absolutely
0: I don't have anything to add, so um you guys, you guys seem to cover him. I, I I like every time that we have to talk about recruiting that I can just have Jason here to, and and Donald also, but but Jason especially, just to just to you know tell us everything we need to know, so I don't have to watch all the recruiting videos.
2: I will so say a, that uh, I will say that you know I I am one of those people who do not really follow recruits until they're very close to commitment because. Back in the day, I used to do that, and you know, with some you know big name players, and like, oh, this dude's gonna be great, and really follow them from like when they're like ninth grade all the way till they commit, and then they wouldn't commit to Duke, and I would just be like, completely gutted, like that I wasted you know four years watching a kid that's not gonna be in a Duke uniform. So I kind of one of those guys that start you know, you know, watching players and following them right around now, like the summer before their senior year, when I can say, okay, now I know who the players that you you know we should be going after, or I think we should be going after, but it's been really good to see, you know, do it from that perspective because I'm following guys and then they're basically all recruiting or all committing to us. So I, I end up feeling a lot better about it.
1: So, right so wait, so you're telling me you, you haven't been following RJ Barrett.
2: Oh yeah. I've been following him, but and <laughs> Zion, I don't know. I don't know really who that Zion. is. Yeah. Zion Williamson has been following since he was like eight, you know, eight years old. I yeah, have he, heard of he Zion
0: Williamson because he has, a, a fantastic name. Yes. Um, and he, and, and, I guess and his highlights are
1: absurd. Yes. Yeah. His right. highlights maybe, are
0: maybe, crazy. Maybe I'll go watch some Zion Williamson. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. We have, we, have a few, we have a few more topics. So the next item we wanted to touch on uh, was a bit of news that came out this week that um, the NCAA is considering um, removing the restriction on basketball and football players who decide to transfer uh, and allowing them to play immediately rather than having to sit out a year. Um, it would be an option that's available to them once. So the first time they transfer, they can play immediately. Then subsequently, they would have to sit out the year. But uh, when you think about Duke players, and especially Duke basketball, this is transfers have been... Uh, both in and out of the program have been a big deal for Duke in recent years. Um, if you go back a few years, specifically talking about guys coming in, um, both Seth Curry and Rodney Hood got a lot of attention as as incoming transfers for how well they were playing in practice and how much they could have helped the team right away. And so you know you you uh, you think about how Duke can can pull in talented guys like that and how they'd be able to play right away. Certainly though, there's, there's a a bit of concern, I think among, especially among the coaches that, um, that enacting this change would, would make it open season for them, for, um, for guys getting recruited up in the middle of the season. Um, And it'll feel like the recruiting won't ever stop from when a guy's in ninth grade until he, until he graduates or until his, his eligibility is, uh, is ended for whatever reason. Um, So we, we just wanted to to touch on it quickly and and get each of our thoughts um, on on the potential for this change. Again, it hasn't gone through yet, but uh, it's a thing they're mulling over. So Donald, what do you think about the proposed uh, transfer rule change?
2: So I think, you know, obviously there's, there's pros and cons. You, you, I you know, you outlined a couple of them, you know, on one side, you know, a player being able to find the best situation for them and, and, realize that that is not the best situation and transfer to a better what they think is a better situation and play immediately i think is okay you know um you'll see i think you may find a lot more players trying to do that um especially when you realize that hey coaches can leave or or go to another school um and then you you have those players have to sit out a year if they transfer so i think the fairness level you know having a one time just like You have a one time where you can, you know, declare for the draft and come back. They had that rule for a while. Um, You know, I think that is okay. Here are the questions that I have um, when I thought about this rule a lot more. Um, You know, will coaches still be able to block transfers to certain schools? That happens now um, when players sit out a year. Is that going to increase when players can play immediately? I think it would. I think that's something to to think about. Also, you mentioned it. Will it lead to more tampering from coaches um, who are saying, hey, you're not playing at Duke. Why don't you come on to my school and and you'll play next year? Um, You'll start next year. Could it also and obviously I know I'm digging a little bit into the weeds of this could, you know, could teams who are trying to get a bunch of players, uh, you know, like Kentucky, you know, when they're trying to recruit seven, eight players, could they say, hey, commit to Duke, play a year? Next year, I'll have a scholarship for you, and you can transfer use your one-time transfer and then come to Kentucky then. Um, will you know, will that happen? And those are some questions that obviously I think the NCAA is probably weighing. Um, but I think fans need to weigh that as well because I think all of that may affect how you feel about this rule as a whole. I think in general, I think it's a positive move to level the playing field and make it a little bit fairer uh, for some of these players to kind of, you know go in a situation. And play immediately. The rule as it stands right now is not something that um, is built to really protect the student athlete, they say so they can get adjusted to classes and stuff. They're already doing that, you know, a lot of these players are are fully adjusted to college life, and transferring is not going to be that big of, of, of of a transition for them. Um, but I think on the competitive side of things, I think that is where you get all these questions. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how those are addressed when they uh, discuss uh, mulling this transfer uh, change.
0: Yeah. Jason, did you have anything you wanted to add?
1: Yeah, I was going to I was going to let you jump in because uh, I feel like Donald and I've done all the talking this episode. Uh, but <laughs>
0: well, I, 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 I'm 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 kind of of two minds. I I sort of uh, I sort of ultimately think it's good, a good thing because the players should be free to, you know, do whatever they want. Um, And that the concerns over the tampering um, are probably, are probably extreme at first. And then I bet they tone down because the coaches only have so much bandwidth to be, you know, recruiting players while the season's going on and recruiting underclass and, you know, recruiting um, high school guys. You know, I think there's only so much attention they can pay to everything. And so it, it might honestly be like, information overload for the coaching staffs, which, which would allow them, um, probably to, to focus a little more on, on the guys they really want. Um, and I think that it also is going to incentivize the the programs to do better by the players because they are going to be more easily convinced to leave. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm in favor. I know that we've talked in the past kind of in general about sort of players rights and, uh, And and the potential for them to make money on their likenesses and all that kind of stuff. I think that this is a step in the right direction. I think that um, ultimately these players get you know produce a ton of publicity for the schools um, and for the programs, and they aren't necessarily compensated as much as they could be, um, particularly given you know what kind of money the coaches make and stuff. And so this is this is just another another good thing I think that they're giving to the that they would be giving to the players um, is to have that flexibility. Uh, and and so ultimately, it's a good thing. Now, in the in the short term, yeah, I can see how this is going to be like a total mess, and that coaches are going to have a hard time adjusting to it. And we're lucky that that the team that we support and that we talk about here is a team that doesn't usually get hurt by transfers. I mean, there are guys who transfer out and then become successful. Um, you know, Elliot not Williams. Not many of them.
1: Not many. Not many.
0: Not many. Um, it, it happens, but more so that Duke brings in transfers and that they're really effective. Um, you know Rodney Hood and Seth Curry being two relatively recent and outstanding examples of that. So um, I don't think it's well, going to really change things for Duke, but um, it, it certainly hurts a lot of other programs and programs that aren't that far away from being Duke either.
2: Well, well also, you wait, just, I'm sorry, real quick, did was go. this rule just for basketball or would it be for football as well? Because I see a lot of the negative uh, questions or the you know the concerns people have would be something that would be way more prevalent in college football yeah, than and, in basketball
0: and, and and it is being talked about in football and that's going to be much more of like a wild west situation because yeah, guys are going to get because you already have that you already place.
2: have that in a lot of a lot of instances um you know with with coaches leaving and and trying to you know at the same time recruit some of their players to come with them um so i think it'd be much more of an issue in college football but not as much college basketball okay jason well, and,
1: and i, I was going to say um the thing about football is football is is one sport where um to, uh, th- there's so much physicality involved in it. And and the maturity of players is so important that um, as you guys know, a real will typically try to red shirt um, a lot of their freshmen. Um, and so there's, so, so guys don't get to play right away um, uh, because you want them to get stronger and get more adjusted. And you know, like football's a man's game e- even more than basketball is. Uh, and I-, I wonder if a rule like this might discourage some of that because, Coaches will be worried that a kid get red sh- kid gets redshirted, and he's like, "Ah, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting to play." And and if I went to this other school, I'd probably get to play right away. Um, and and it might, you know, that it might change the way football teams have to put together their rosters. But but back to basketball really quick. Um, I think it's worth noting that Coach K has spoken about this, um, and he doesn't like it. He he thinks this rule is a bad idea. He said it feeds the one and done culture. Um, that already exists for many, many top high school players, and uh, you know it's worth noting. Even though Duke has become one of the primary destinations of guys who are, was almost say, to, yeah. well, <laughs> all, guys who are almost certain to be one and done, because Coach K wants to get the most talented players. He wants to work with the most talented players. That's why he, that's why he coached Team USA for those years because he enjoys coaching the best players he can, even if he only gets them for one year. Um, but Coach K doesn't like the one and done culture. Believe me, he would rather have. Uh, these guys who go, who come to Duke one and one done, he'd rather have them for two, three, four years. I'm sure of that. Uh, but he says that that this kind of a transfer rule would feed the one and done culture because guys would either say, I've been here a year. I should go to the NBA or they'll say, I've been here a year and I didn't make it to the NBA. So maybe I should go someplace else. I should go to a new program. Um, and so he's concerned about it. He doesn't he doesn't like it. One thing I sort of like about it is. Uh, the gpa requirement the the ncaa has said that there would be a a certain minimum gpa that they would say players would have to get in order to be eligible for this no penalty transfer and i think anytime players are encouraged to work hard in their classes and get good grades that's always a good thing and and many in the ncaa say the reason behind this is to try and get players to be focused on their schoolwork um a little bit more than they currently are but the the bottom line this goes back to something Sam touched on, um, if this goes through, make no mistake, it's good for Duke. It's really good for Duke, um, just from a competitive standpoint, because what you're going to see is um, the underdog players, the players you haven't necessarily heard of, the players who maybe go to a smaller program or they go to a, a, you know, like a Georgia Tech, they go to a, a middle tier program from a Power Five conference, and they turn out to be much better than people expected those guys are going to go to the top programs the next year because they want to be on TV. They want to play with the best. They want to show that they're among the best. They see the success that schools like Duke and and their other schools like Duke, you know, Kansas, Kentucky, UNC, we can tick them off, Florida, Arizona. Um, They see how successful those schools are putting guys. And what's going to happen is those blue blood programs are going to, they're going to get to restock their roster with, with guys who are leaving middle tier and lower tier programs left and right. And, and I think that's an unfortunate thing. I mean, one of the fun things about college basketball is these programs that maybe they suddenly, they grab a couple guys who turn out to be better than you than, than expected, and, they, and the team, you know, suddenly one of these middle tier teams gets to rise up a bit and become a top tier team for at least a, a little while. Because,
0: because a Steph Curry is at Davidson for three years.
1: Exactly, there's no chance. I'm telling you, there's no chance Steph Curry stays at Davidson, if if this if this rule existed during his time. Now, yeah. I'll tell you the other thing is he probably would have gone to Duke.
0: Yeah, I it, it's it's possible. I don't know that we know that, but um, I mean he yeah. he's talked
1: about his admiration for Duke and his admiration for Coach K. And while he was college, while he was still at Davidson, he talked about the fact that he he actually said he wished he'd been recruited by Duke. Um, so uh, so I, I think. I mean, he probably I'm, – I'm sure he felt plenty of loyalty to Davidson, and, and it's a wonderful school, and, you know, I, I don't know that he definitely would have transferred. I mean, that's – you know, I'm, I'm not going to guess at that, but but believe me, um, you know, I, I i think you would see players moving around even more than they are now. There's no question about it, and, and the, a lot of the movement would be guys who are really successful at smaller programs – going to bigger programs and going to the Big Blue Blood programs. Now, it also means that, that you're going to, like, I, I, there's no question, Duke loses Marcus Bolden if this rule was in place. He would have transferred, don't you think? Yep. Yeah. I mean, no question about it. Um, and uh, we probably, I, I would I would guess we probably would have also lost um, uh, Javin uh, and And, you know, go back over the years, there have been guys who, who didn't get a ton of playing time early in their career. Ryan Kelly. People forget Ryan Kelly was a McDonald's All-American. He was a top 15 recruit, and he did not play very much at all his freshman year at Duke. He,
0: I bet I bet Nolan Smith wouldn't have stayed either. Uh,
1: uh, no, no chance Nolan Smith would have stayed. Mm-hmm. Nolan Smith almost transferred anyway. Think about all the guys who you know ended up being uh, – I'll tell you another one. Jason Williams may not have stayed because Jason Williams, yeah. after he got to Duke, talked about um, how much – he and he sort of a little bit regretted not not going to Seton Hall which is where he originally thought he was really going to go and he had a bunch of buddies there and stuff like that and he was a little homesick his freshman year even though he had a great incredible freshman year there there are a lot of guys that are legends at Duke that are great players who I think would have gone they would have left and I think I I enjoy seeing players in the program as long as possible
0: and and and, well like you said I think it would it would ultimately work out better for Duke, um, but it is a shame that that so many guys would move. I, I mean, there is there. I I sort of mentioned it earlier that you know there might come a time in the future where you know I think for a couple of years there will be there would be a little bit more chaos, and then I think it would actually wind down because there would be enough examples of guys making these decisions and having them not pan out, and you'd be able to to more definitively explain to. To kids who are thinking about all these transfers, like you know, here are good examples of of why you should stay and um, and and why even if it's not at Duke, even if it's at another program, why staying at the same place can be beneficial, and that you can kind of grow with your team and grow with your coach. Um, but but as we said, there's a that this is still kind of an in work um, thing. I think that the whatever committee it is that's that would be deciding on this hasn't. Hasn't formally approved it yet or anything, um, but we will. We'll, we'll certainly touch on this again if and, if there's any you know, future developments.
1: Really quick, I I would like to say that um, even though I think the way this rule has been sort of presented, um, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about the chaos, uh, you know, whether it would benefit Duke or hurt Duke. We talked about about that. I, I would like to say that even though I I hope this specific rule doesn't come through, I do hope that they that the NCAA is able to look at the transfer rules and figure something out with them. I think that they are currently unfair. And um, I think less restrictions on players is probably a fair thing. When you consider that coaches can move, I think players should be able to, in some kind of ways, have more ability to move. I just don't know if this kind of freedom is quite the step that that should be made at, at this time
2: like anyone's listening to me.
0: Donald, you know? Donald did, you have, uh, did you have anything <laughs> to add on that?
2: No, I, I think, you know, you're mentioning the players that, you know, the legends who could have uh, transferred, you know, out, you know, immediate, and played immediately somewhere else. And you would think, you could also think about the players, like how would the 2001 team uh, be shaped a little bit better, you know, with Dante Jones being able to play, uh, or, you know, Seth Curry being able to play in 2010. You know, I think those sort of questions, you have, you have them on both sides. And did so I think that's what
0: – Donald, did you just ask how the national championship winning teams could be? No, no,
2: no. I meant the layout of the team. Like, you know, <laughs> no, we obviously would have won. We we won with them. and they, it. But I think, you know, it's one of those things where, like, when you talk about the great teams in history and you talk about the players that are on that team, people always remember the players that played. But a lot of people – Still, you know, especially back in 2001, I remember at that national championship rally, the first thing Coach K said was, we would not have won this national championship if it were not for Dante Jones, who did not play a second. So I think that, you know, if he was able to play, you know, it, we still would have won, obviously. But I think those sort of questions are are things that people are going to say, hey, maybe these guys would have played earlier or they may, you know, we might have gotten someone transferred in and if they could play immediately it's going to work on both sides. And I think that's what the NCAA is going to have to really consider when they weigh uh change in this rule.
0: So we have one more big topic we wanted to talk about, and then we have an announcement at the end of the show. Um, Duke, uh, Duke football. We're going to, we're going to transition to football. Um, so for those who are only here for basketball, this is your warning. Um, The Duke Blue Devils kicked off the season last week at home against NC Central, uh, a game that has become something of a tradition for them. And uh, in, in the spirit of that tradition, the Blue Devils um, beat the crap out of the Eagles. Uh, It was, it was 30 to nothing when I, when I started looking at other, at other games and other things last weekend um, and ended up, I think 60 to seven. Um, So, this week, Duke faces a, a slightly stiffer opponent that would be the Wildcats of Northwestern, uh, a team that Duke has also made a tradition of playing, a, a tradition that I think I like um, personally because Northwestern is, you know, another school kind of like Duke and that they play in a big conference and, and honestly that, they, that they're that they one of the models for for what this Duke program can be, um, you know, each year as they're... As they're becoming more competitive in their major conference. So uh, this is now the third season in a row that Duke has played Northwestern. Um, they the Wildcats have won the last two uh, games uh, two years ago in Durham and then last year up in Evanston um, and and before I kind of get to the gets a couple of nuts and bolts previews um, Donald, did you have anything you wanted to say about the central game or about the Northwestern game coming up this weekend?
2: Yeah, you know, I watched the Central game until the ESPN app uh, completely crashed for half of America, including the East Coast. Um, and I think it was like 42 to, you know, 7 or something like that at that point. But uh, I think the the one takeaway I have is that we have a lot of athletes on this team, and I think that's a really good sign. Um, also, you know, when you have teams, when you have these teams – There's not a lot that you can take away as far as, like, how they performed, like, relative to the, you know, the team that they played. But I do like looking at the points. And, you know, we've always scored a lot of points against NC Central. But 60 points is the most that any Duke team has scored since 1949. I think that's a good thing where we have a lot of options in a lot of guys who can put the ball in the end zone or put the ball through the uprights. And presumably –
0: Presumably, Central gets better every year because they've only been in Division One for a few years. Right. So you got to figure that they're they're able to recruit slightly better guys every season that they're removed from being Division Two. Right. Absolutely. And and
2: again, this is their game that they circle in their schedule because they want to you know come out and show something against a Power Five conference uh, team. So uh, I think that you know when you see we can put a lot of points on the board, we did it quickly, we did it in very. Different ways, um, and you know, we even had a pick six, so our defense was clicking. That is the sort of thing you want to see. Now we have to obviously put it together. You know, we didn't have a perfect game against uh, NC Central, so we're gonna have to put a lot more things together um, when we face Northwestern. And I think the key to that game is gonna be the defense. You know, get not giving up big plays and not giving up uh, momentum. You know, having the momentum is gonna be key. And I think if this team plays you know as well as they did last week you know we have a great chance of of winning the football game especially when we talk about our big athletes you know Sean Wilson uh if he can run the ball very well um if uh uh Jones Daniel Jones can uh make uh make you know good decisions with the football um i think we're going to have a great day uh, on saturday
0: yeah and and to get a little deeper into northwestern um if you remember from the game last year, Northwestern features a quarterback named Clayton Thorson, who who was pretty efficient against us last year. He threw for 320 yards. Um, and uh, and he, he had a nice game against us. And then their other big-time player is a running back named Justin Jackson, a name that we like to root against, I guess. So um, those are kind of the, the, the two key studs for Northwestern. They have a few really good wide receivers as well. Um, Really, the key last year in the game was, was some failures on special teams. Um, we, we let them uh, run a uh, – I think they, they ran a kickback. Uh, it might have been last year. It might have been the year before. Um, but we had some issues in the punting game last year, and uh, so hopefully a lot of those issues are, are cleaned up. I think that the other thing that, um, that, that's important to look – if you want to look at last year's game and then look at this year's game, um, Daniel Jones had a nice game last year against Northwestern. It wasn't out of this world and it wasn't late season, Daniel Jones. So he has improved a lot um, since the last time he faced this team, even though it was only like 11 games ago. So um, look for him, I think, to have a big day. And uh, and like you said, Donald, it's not like you can take a ton from a game against an overmatched opponent like Central. Um, but the Duke offense looked really nice on Saturday um, against that overmatch team. Um, Jones was kind of doing what he wanted to do, and hopefully he can keep that up against, you know, a, a much bigger and more talented um, Wildcat team. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for this game. I really, really think Duke can, can win this. And then also, um, given the really poor performance that Baylor put on last week against Liberty, um, you know, I, I want to be optimistic and think that the Blue Devils are going to be 3-0. Um here at the beginning of the season before ACC play starts. So um, that, that's kind of my general thoughts on on football. Uh, Jason, did you have anything to add from last week yeah, or I got, this week?
1: I got one thing to add. Um, uh, folks, when you're watching this game, there's a name to listen out for. There's a name to pay attention to who you haven't necessarily heard before. Um, uh, I, I, in fact, um, Donald, who do you think I'm about to talk about?
2: I have no idea. Yeah. Why don't you enlighten us, Britton Brown? Oh. Britton Brown, yeah. very good. How,
1: how uh, after watching the NC Central game, how could you not want to talk about Britton Brown? Um, a this great kid game. is a—he's uh, a freshman running back. He ran for 120 yards last week against NC Central. Um, he's a red shirt, and um, they, they we've been hearing reports. If if you follow Duke football a little bit, I have some friends who who are really into it, and they've been saying to me for more than a year, they're like, "This kid's redshirting, but he's destroying in practice. He's uh, apparently in preseason practices this year and spring practices. um, Britton Brown against the first team Duke defense, he was just he was wrecking them. He was absolutely massacring them. And then he he ran for 120 yards on on only ten carries against." NC Central, which is a pretty good average. Um, this is a kid who, uh, ESPN, when, when Duke recruited him, ESPN said he was the 18th best running back prospect in the country, number 18, which is pretty darn good. Um, he was offered scholarships by Clemson, Louisville, Old Miss, Stanford, and a bunch of other schools. Those are those are top tier programs. That I just named four programs that are in the top 10 almost every year, and they all wanted this guy. And he came to Duke. We had to wait and have him redshirt last year. But I'm really excited to see this kid play. Um, he's our backup running back behind Sean Wilson, and um, I, I, I think, I think people are just gonna their jaws are gonna drop. I think this kid it could has the potential to be one of the real, real greats ever in the Duke uniform, and I'm really excited to see him play against Northwestern.
0: All right, there's your there's your player from Jason Evans. I like it. So let's. Let's uh, wrap up here. We have one more um, kind of announcement to make about the show. We're about to enter our fourth season covering Duke basketball and Duke football as, as we're able. Um, So among the three of us, me, uh, Jason and and Donald, we've discussed a little bit over the summer and recently uh, about how um, we might want to start being able to sell some of the, um, the space on this show. Uh, so a lot of podcasts that you might listen to have ads or uh, have sponsorships of some kind. So we haven't worked out all the details yet, um, but we are. We think from from talking to uh, members of the community, uh, we think we think it's okay um, that we're gonna we're gonna start selling ad space here. Um, so as I said, the details aren't all worked out. We know that um, some that it's gonna look like um, you're gonna be able you as a individual or a business are going to be able to buy ad space uh, on the podcast we're going to come up with sort of a pricing structure for it and um we mentioned this i know this week uh on the dbr forum um, had a had a lively conversation i would say about it uh back and forth with with a few different posters who had some concerns about it um so we we we're hoping that we got them all kind of sorted out um and so i would say unless Unless, Jason, if you want to if you want to talk more in detail about it, uh, I would say that um, for the time being, uh, if you think you're interested in advertising with Duke Basketball Report and you want more information, um, you can email us. Right, Jason? I can I can tell them they can email us.
1: Yes. At, DBRpodcast so, at gmail.com. DBRpodcast
0: D.B.R. podcast at Gmail at Gmail at Gmail We'll also mention this um, on our post on the front page on DukeBasketballreport.com. We'll mention it in our forum thread that we always post uh for the show. Um, we'll we'll give all those details again. Again, it's DBRpodcast at gmail.com. Uh if you email that address, one at least one of the three of us will will respond to you. Um and we're gonna hopefully be getting that going really soon. We you know we have a couple of good episodes coming up uh in in the in the coming weeks. We have the UNC football game here soon. And before you know it, it's going to be basketball season again. So um, that's all going to get going. We'll we'll give more details kind of as as we finalize them and, and as we need to send them out. Um, and, but that's and, what you need to know for now, I think.
1: And and I want to stress um, first of all, it's not going to materially change the content of the podcast. No, it's still no, going to be no, the right. three of Absolutely. us. Having a good time. I mean, we're talking about maybe you know uh, something short, ten or fifteen seconds at the very beginning. Maybe something in the middle. It'll almost certainly be something that we read out loud, not something where we drop a pre-produced ad in there. Um, and uh, and it doesn't. It's not only going to be advertisements. If there are folks out there who appreciate and enjoy what we're doing and enjoy the the effort that we're putting into it, and they say, "Hey, I want to give you guys a few bucks to say thank you." we're going to thank them by, by, you know, mentioning them. And if they want us to say something silly, we'll say something silly, you know? Um, So uh, this is not something that's going to really have any material change to the, to the content of the podcast. And the other thing worth mentioning is none of the three of us are trying to get rich off of this and we know we're not going to get rich off of it. I mean, we're talking about, you know, we'd be thrilled. yeah, we Yeah. We'd be beyond thrilled if, uh, I, I've said this on the boards. So if Sam can buy a couple beers, if Donald can buy a hat and some other swag, if I can take my wife to dinner once a month, then we will have hit a huge home run with this. So that's, that's the standard here. So we're, we're not looking, if you wanna give us a lot of money, great, but we're not looking for a lot of money. We're just looking for a little something um, because we spend a lot of time and effort. Uh, there's equipment involved in this kind of stuff. And you know, after a few years, we should maybe get a little something out of it, not much, believe me, not much at all. Um, but thanks to all of you, I mean, thanks for listening. you know yeah, and, and, the only and, reason and, we're able to, we're only able right. to do it because people listen, you know right and
0: we and we wouldn't be talking about this, I don't think if we hadn't seen our our subscriber numbers climb um and and they have like kind of steadily over the three years that we've been doing the show. um so sort of before we embark on on our commercial phase. Um, thank you again to everybody who listens, whether you've only recently tuned in or listened to every show, um, all the feedback we get, we get plenty of good feedback on the boards and then, and from individuals. I know I've mentioned that I've met uh, a handful of, of listeners that kind of just around Duke events. I know the other guys have as well. Um, we, we appreciate all of it when, and we're really glad that people listen. I think that we would, we'd probably still like doing it if, if we didn't have as many listeners as we do. Um, but it, it's great that that people are here and tuning in, and uh, and that we get to keep this project going because we certainly have a good time doing it. Um, Amen.
2: It, yeah, I uh, think we I think we always I have.
0: have
2: I was going to say we. I think we all still are kind of shocked when someone comes up to us and says, "Hey, I really enjoy your podcast." I, I still I, I mean it's been you know three years, and I'm still shocked when someone comes up to me and says that they listen to us speak. Um, so you know, thank you guys. That's very simply, thank you.
0: So uh, with that, I, d- does anybody have parting shots on top of that this week? I didn't have one.
2: I, I did. I would, Go ahead, Jason.
1: I, I was just going to say really quickly, um, I haven't seen it, I posted this on the boards, but um, I really strongly encourage people to have a look on uh, uh, Duke Blue Planet. Um, DukeBluePlanet.com um, has a, uh, an essay/photo essay slash photo essay about Antonio Vrankovic and his summer that he spent back home in Croatia. He's from Croatia, um, playing with the Croatian national team. Um, and, and it really, it's, it's wonderful insight into Croatian basketball culture. Uh, it's insight into Vrank and his family. His father was a huge, huge star in Croatia. Um, and also played in the NBA, uh, and, um, Stoiko Rankovic is his name. And, um, Uh, And he's now his father's now very, very involved with the national team, which I think is one of the reasons Antonio got a got a chance to play with them this summer. But uh, really a a, a beautiful look inside the personality of of a guy who's been at Duke coming up now on his third season. Um, I don't know how huge uh, an impact uh, he will have on the court this season because Duke has a lot of very, very, very talented big men. Um, but uh, at some point, I'm confident that at some point before his career is done, we're going to need to call on Antonio Vrankovic. and and I think um, the lessons he learned this summer playing with the Croatian national team, which is no small feat, I, I think will will help him a lot. And and I think it's really fun and really cool to to get to know a little bit more about these uh, remarkable young men, and and many of them, uh, you know, uh, in addition to the basketball, show us when they write these essays that they really are remarkable. Um, outside of the the basketball arena. Um, Antonio Vrankovic is a thoughtful guy. And this is a, it, it's just a nice piece on him. And the, I encourage folks, again, go to Duke, Duke Boo Planet and check out that article.
0: A, a, great one. Um, definitely. Donald.
2: Yeah, mine is mine is actually a little more serious uh, of, of a parting shot, but I just want to send, uh, you know, a thought up to everybody who, is or will be affected by, you know, Hurricane Irma, who is now, as as we are recording, uh, barreling down uh, towards uh, the state of Florida. Obviously, you guys know I went to school in Miami and have a lot of friends uh, down in that way. Hurricane Harvey came through Houston uh, and the Gulf uh, Coast of Texas last week. I have family and friends down there. Um, you know, if you guys are in these areas, you know, obviously our thoughts are with you, but, you know, especially for those people who, uh, live along the eastern seaboard. And honestly, you know, living in D.C., we have to think about this as well. Um, you know, if you're in an area that is, uh, you know, in the eye uh, or in the in the direct uh, zone of Hurricane Irma, uh, please make have a plan. Please make sure that you guys are uh, uh, preparing for the storm. Uh, and hopefully uh, next time we have this podcast, we're talking about how Irma uh, completely missed the United States. But if not, you know, Everyone be safe out there uh all our all of our listeners, all of our readers on the forums. if you guys aren't affected, obviously uh are we're with you. Um, make sure that you guys are ready and uh uh godspeed
0: very well stated sir yep, thank you very much and 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 only to pile on because it seems like natural disaster is everywhere these days um, We in denver have have gotten a little bit of the smoke from the fires out west, but um also thinking about uh our friends and and everybody who's out in Washington and Oregon and Montana and all the places that have been affected by these terrible fires. Um, you know, I hope that, hope that all that can get cleaned up real soon. Um, and, and yep, Donald, uh, I, I just wanted to echo everything Donald said about all the folks uh, in Houston and, and in Miami and, and all the surrounding areas. Um, all of our best to you and, uh, and to everybody else. You know, whatever, whatever you can do to, to help out, um, there's going to be a lot of folks. There are a lot of folks in need. Now and there, and it seems like there's going to be a lot more of them soon uh, as this hurricane reaches uh, Florida here in the next couple days. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, ending ending kind of on a on a sad note, but um, that's that's the way life is. So, uh, for Jason and for Donald, I am Sam. Um, we are the hosts, as always, of your Duke Basketball Report podcast. This has been episode 81. Duke Band, take us home.